and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Today, I want to extend a very well warm welcome to Stephen Wolt. He is CEO of Veritas Solutions. Stephen's own personal journey as an executive in corporate America struggling with substance use disorder, as well as recovery from this, is a reason that he set out to create Veritas. His struggle for years trying to manage a career and his own treatment and recovery made him realize that additional treatment resources were needed for executives who are highly functional in the workplace. His goal is to bring together industry leaders in clinical treatment, executive coaching, and healthcare coordination to create a virtual outpatient treatment program specifically designed to meet the needs of medical and legal communities. Well, welcome, Steve, and thank you so much for being on Hope for Healthcare today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And do you prefer we call you Steve or Steven? What would you prefer? Steve is fine, unless you're going to reprimand me, which I hope you're not going to have to do during this call. So, Oh, no, 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 not today. Just Steve. <laughs> not today. All right, great. Well, Steve, um, can you tell us a little bit, our audience, a little bit about your own personal journey um, with struggling with addiction and how this helped to inspire you to create your organization? Sure. Um it's great to be here. It's also great to be filming this, you know, two days before Thanksgiving. Oh. And I just think about uh, how grateful I am for my life today, mm-hmm. how grateful I am for my wife and how grateful I am uh, for the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And um, there's something about this week that I, I reflect about where I once was and where I am today. And I, that injection of gratefulness is just wonderful and i'm feeling that today being on this call with you um so as i'm in long-term recovery as a cocaine addict and um you know as you mentioned i'm the president and co-founder of veritas which offers telehealth solutions for impaired physicians and impaired lawyers uh, dealing with substance use disorders and the genesis of the idea really um was a function of my own experiences as an executive in corporate America with a very significant um, career, but also a very significant cocaine addiction and sex addiction. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my story in a nutshell, what brought me to this point was, you know, I had a very large career in New York and in 2004 started um, developing a very significant uh, drug addiction and sex addiction, and the two working together uh, was so difficult and so challenging. And, um, you know, I had done a bunch of residential treatment programs. You know, I'd go away for 30 days to the best care that I thought was around, available to me. And then I would re-enter my work and re-enter the home. And I would just struggle with putting together any type of abstinence. And I did that for years. And bottomed out really horribly in 2008. I ended up um, 
losing the business I had and and it got really dark and really ugly and you know multiple drug overdoses and I'd really hit uh, a bottom and uh, I had become suicidal and I'd really had uh, I didn't see a way out and you know I was um, acting out in ways sexually that were just so confusing and shameful. I was abusing large amounts of cocaine and, um, but for the grace of God, I found a treatment program in 2009 that specialized in childhood trauma and, um, and it saved my life. And so many of the experiences that were the driver of this trauma, I wasn't even aware of consciously. So I found a place, I went there for four months, place in um, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, an organization called Pine Grove, and more specifically a program called Gentle Path that they had there. And really that was the turning point of healing in my life. Um, I had significant, significant childhood trauma, both physically and sexually. And um, if I, you know, without addressing that, you know, the drug and alcohol was but a symptom of some much deeper, darker issues that I, I uh, had to address. And mm-hmm. the health program helped save my life. And, um, you know, I relocated from New York to Los Angeles, where I had some friends that were very active in 12-step communities, especially with Alcoholics Anonymous, and as well as Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous. And I and I share that because um, there's still so much stigma around these addictions. And, uh, you know, my uh, experience from hell to back and my story is my gift. And if I could do anything uh, on this call for anyone that's listening is to right-size some of these issues and to help destigmatize some of these issues. And... So a few years ago, I had gone, I had uh, gotten back to my old career and um, I started reflecting on my experience as an executive in corporate America and the outpatient treatment model for substance use disorders and mental health. And I just saw some glaring issues and some glaring barriers that I thought were problematic for, for accessing treatment. And you know, those issues were, um, it was a very... Um, non-private experience going to and from an outpatient treatment facility. Mm -hmm. I was living in New York and Los Angeles and the whole experience, I spent more time commuting to a treatment facility than actually in treatment, given the traffic of New York and Los Angeles. I believe it. I just found that there were these incredible residential treatment programs around the country. But as you transition back home into the outpatient treatment model, I saw a big drop off. And especially in, you know, the idea of receiving treatment with peers, right? People that have such similar uh, personal and professional lives where residential treatment really did a good job creating that type of exclusivity. But as you transition to the outpatient world, it was just a big drop off. So I, I really wanted to give back. I wanted to use the experiences that I had in my own journey with addiction and recovery, most of which were horrible in nature, um, but to find a way to create something that I thought could make a difference. Mm. And we did this all pre-COVID, by the way. And so- That was great timing, by the way. Great timing. And so I had met a gentleman in Alcoholics Anonymous in 2009. His name was Bob Miller, buddy of mine. He- 
is the chairman of the board of Freedom Institute. Freedom Institute is a large New York nonprofit outpatient treatment provider, been around for almost 50 years in Midtown Manhattan, an amazing prestigious institute. And I went to Freedom Institute and to Bob and shared some of these ideas. And, you know, we decided to create a company called Veritas, where we were going to try do our best to, you know, to take what was being done so good at Freedom Institute in person and shift it to a telehealth platform where we can use peer programming, where we can provide higher levels of confidentiality and convenience, mm -hmm. and we can really integrate the best of coaching and the best of clinical on one team from the first day of treatment. So right before the pandemic, we launched Veritas Medical, which is a telehealth intensive outpatient program for impaired physicians. Mm -hmm. And, um, the rest is history, as we like to say, and um, we did well uh, throughout the pandemic and growing the business. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, we brought the two organizations together, and I became the president of Freedom Institute, as well as the president of Veritas, um, which is just personally, like, inch me. Like, how did I end up here as the president of Freedom mm -hmm. Institute? Like, you know, so it's just some days I just have to scratch my head and say, you know, wow, you know, I was basically dead in 2009. I had lost all hope to live. I were engaging in sexual behaviors that were unfathomable. I was ending up in emergency rooms with drug overdoses. And here I am today, president of Freedom Institute and also creator of a telehealth treatment program for impaired licensed professionals, you know, nothing short of spectacular. So, you know, I think about Thanksgiving and gratitude and uh, my life today, which is, uh, which is really amazing. Wow, Steve. Well, I, you know, first of all, I just want to thank you for being so vulnerable with our audience and sharing your own personal experience. It's definitely challenging and hard to talk about those things. I know I have a history of childhood trauma I've been open about and, and, you know, it's really interesting how, when we have unresolved childhood trauma, how that can manifest for people. And with you, it manifested in addiction and some unhealthy sexual behaviors. And, you know, just the fact that you were able to get the right, you found the right team to work with the right treatment program. And then you rec recognize the gap in outpatient treatment, you were able to create something beautiful for our community. And, you know, I'm just, I, I am sad for the journey that you've had, but I am also grateful that you've had the experience and the wisdom to create what you've created. Yeah. I had a friend of mine tell me recently, he goes, Steve, you are so uniquely qualified to help others. Most and I have to remind myself of that, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it means so much more when we've had the experience ourselves mm -hmm. and we're in a more of a mentoring, teaching leadership role. Um, I think it, it lends weight to itself. And when we are hopeful, I think that our clients and patients and colleagues, it make, it has a deeper level to it because if we have been able to turn our own life around and we are hopeful that everyone can too, it means a lot. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I I reflect sometimes and I think like the one thing I I did was well is I never gave up. And, you know, there were so many years where I I wanted to get sober and I just couldn't. Yeah. And 
failure after failure after failure. Um, and I just never gave up. And I told someone recently that, listen, I might be a lot of things, but I am the Michael Jordan of never giving up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's also inspiring for people that might be listening today and struggling mm -hmm. that the one thing we just don't give up and someday, somehow something will change. And that mm -hmm. just a little bit of belief within oneself, a little bit of hope is enough to kind of get me through the day and get anyone through that day. And uh, maybe tomorrow will be very different. Mm. Well, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about Veritas Solutions and how yeah. to do a little bit more about the platform? And mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we created Veritas initially for uh, impaired physicians. And one of our other partners is Dr. Michael Sutcher. Dr. Sutcher ran the Arizona Physician Health Program for over 30 years. So he's literally overseen the care of thousands of physicians that have been dealing with substance use disorders and mental health issues and trauma. And he really planted the seed in my head that over the three decades that he worked in monitoring physicians, he felt that about a third of those physicians would have been better off with an outpatient treatment program that allowed them to continue to work, allow them to continue to stay in the home, allow them to continue to earn income versus going to a residential hospital type of setting for extended periods of time. But the outpatient treatment model was just not set up to work with an impaired physician. Um, so we went to work in creating Veritas, which is an intensive outpatient program that it consists of 10 hours of clinical treatment a week over a 12-week period of time. And so a few things about the, the you know, I think when I talk about the Veritas Five, right? What, what, what is it that makes us unique? And so number one is peer programming. So especially with licensed medical professionals and impaired physicians, the challenges that doctors and healthcare professionals deal with on a day-to-day -day basis are so unique to healthcare professionals. So receiving treatment with your medical professional peers is so value from an empathy and understanding and connection point of view. And typically only a residential treatment model could facilitate that. So number one, receiving treatment with your peers to help reduce or right size stigma and shame, so valuable. Number two, within the intensive outpatient program are weekly healthcare professional work-related issues groups that deals with professional burnout, professional boundaries, dealing with monitoring, dealing with stigma, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, compassion fatigue, really a platform that we've created and a syllabus we've created over 12 weeks that really addresses so many issues that doctors in particular are experiencing these days. So that's part of the treatment program. Third thing that is really unique is that um, we actually integrate physician coaching into the IOP. And so in 2019, I went around the country trying to find physicians who are in long-term recovery and who are open about their recovery and who are credentialed or certified as coaches. And I put together a team of physicians um, that provide coaching for our physician clients. So they're part of the clinical team, they meet with clients weekly, and they provide 
coaching and really interesting that coaching just by way of background of these physicians ends up being a blend of coaching both recovery performance and executive coaching given where they've been in their own personal lives mm -hmm. so such a unique part of the program helping not only to higher levels of accountability creating inspiration and hope that there is a path forward look at me as an example um but you know doctors in particular come with us with you know, lots of challenges in their life, whether it's their career, whether it's their license, whether it's their family, and having that coaching component is really unique. Mm -hmm. Or um, we offer, um, and the clinical program is based on dialectical behavior therapy. So we're a DBT-based program. So over the 12 weeks, it's the lifeblood clinically of our program. We are teaching um, medical professionals the skills of mindfulness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and interpersonal effectiveness. And what a unique moment in time in healthcare to be teaching these skills. Yeah. They're practical. Um, you know, medical professionals are highly educated, so they grasp onto learning new things. And we've just had such a positive experience uh, using that. Also, you know, DBT has been proven to be um, very effective in treating substance use disorder and trauma. So uh, we have found in our program um, that our clients have really benefited from uh, being taught these DBT skills. And lastly is telehealth. Now, we were one of the first, if not the first, to go to market with a telehealth intensive outpatient program. The whole world now has embraced telehealth uh, out of necessity due to the pandemic. But we have a methodology that has worked really well in that we keep our group small, right? So in, within our program, you'll have no more than eight clients at any given time in this type of Zoom setting. The groups will be co-facilitated by two clinicians. It just lends itself to a much more engaging experience um, and also holding clients kind of accountable for participation in these groups. And over the past few years, both Veritas and Freedom Institute, we've had a really positive experience using telehealth. And here's what the data supports based on the work that we're doing, but also supported with other large uh, treatment centers as well. So we have seen higher levels of client engagement. We've seen higher levels of client and clinician satisfaction. We've seen clients stay in the program longer because of the ease and convenience that telehealth mm -hmm. provides. We've, we've seen about the same rates of abstinence proven by third-party drug and alcohol testing. So and we've also seen clients be more honest in this platform than in person, which is also really interesting, whether they feel that it's safer to kind of tell the truth in this environment. But, you know, over the past few years, the feedback from our clinicians had been significantly higher levels of honesty in this platform versus an in-person experience, which in early recovery or any type of therapy is always useful to be honest with your <laughs> therapist. So um, it, we believe it's here to stay. I'll tell you what's challenging though <clears throat> and upsetting and sad. You know, there are high rates of substance abuse in our nation for the pandemic. There are lots of studies that support higher rates of alcohol or drug abuse during the pandemic and post-pandemic. So when we designed this, 
you know, I had really thought that the higher levels of confidentiality that telehealth provides would just open the door for physicians in particular getting the help they need mm -hmm. because it was just more confidential. They weren't and more convenient. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that type of um, client in our programming. You know, most of the, the people we work with have been mandated to treatment and get referred to us from state physician health programs or state nurse monitoring programs where they're, you know, they are mandated to do treatment in order to keep their license or continue to practice. Mm -hmm. And so we've done really well in that market. Where we haven't seen lots of interest is the physician or healthcare professional who's voluntarily seeking out treatment for a drug or alcohol problem. And so I do think there are still many barriers that exist mm -hmm. on where, where medical professionals feel safe enough to get treatment for a substance use disorder. And so still a lot more work to do to kind of connect with those markets, still so much more work to do to help reduce the barriers where medical professionals feel safe enough to get the help they need. So Steve, let me ask you a question. If I'm, you know, let's say I'm an ER physician and I'm struggling with a little bit of alcoholism since the pandemic, and I recognize I'm drinking to really self-medicate now and get through the days. Mm -hmm. And I, let's say I have a history of, you know, childhood trauma too. And I just, it hasn't been something I've dealt with. How do I begin getting connected to your organization? And yeah. how do I know that it's confidential and it's not going to be reported to my hospital, to my medical? Yeah, great. So number one, you, you know, clients have HIPAA rights. So we don't have the ability to share your medical information without the individual authorizing us to do that. Okay. We are also not mandated to report uh, a physician uh, if they are seeking out treatment. So there are two parts of, of this process that provide safety and security to get the help they need. You know, it's also very interesting, you know, you know, oftentimes, you know, our program may not be appropriate for someone. You know, so a lot of times people come to us that, that are not um, coming from a monitoring program, whether it's a physician voluntarily or a, a lawyer or judge voluntarily, where they'll come to us and get assessed and we'll make the determination of, okay, you know, um, is intensive outpatient appropriate level of care? Sometimes people need higher levels of care to be medically detoxed or residential treatment, or maybe this is too intensive a program. Maybe someone, there's something else that might maybe more appropriate for that individual based on maybe underlying psychiatric issues or concerns. So we go through a pretty um, intensive evaluation where we'll work with someone up front and help them determine what is the appropriate level of care? What is the appropriate treatment provider? And sometimes it's not us. And you know we're in a position to refer people to more appropriate levels of care based on what's actually going on. And what is the intake process like? Like if I'm an ER physician and I call you, yeah. how would so that the, work? Yeah, the intake process, it's, you know, from that phone call, that for, it's confidential, right? So that's number one, to feel safe enough to kind of, hey, what's going on? And then, you know, we would schedule an assessment or an evaluation. 
And that really is like a two hour meeting with someone on our clinical team that will do a deep dive in what got you to this moment in time, hopefully with the intention of either a diagnosis is an intensive outpatient level of care, the appropriate level of care. If not, what is, and is our programming the most appropriate given exactly what's going on with your situation? So that's a really good information for us as a treatment provider to see if we are the best provider to meet this individual's needs. It's also really good information for the person on the other end, really getting an independent evaluation as to what should next steps look like here. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's really helpful, Steve. And, and I sounds like you have um, many layers that help, you know, protect confidentiality and buffer that. So I know that's really great to hear. And I look forward to, to market, helping you market this program, because I think really every hospital organization should have access to this information. Yeah. And it's, you know, you think about how many physicians or hospital executives or healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. are struggling out there. Mm-hmm. And you look at the, the numbers of people actually getting help. It's really sad. Yeah. And uh, people out there are suffering and they're mm-hmm. scared, not knowing where, where, what type of care is appropriate, but where is it safe enough for me to kind of ask for help and get for help. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can do to help reduce those barriers, mm-hmm. I mean, we're saving lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, Steve. Um well, I, you know, I have another question to kind of deep dive into a little bit. Sure. Um, you mentioned, you know, your own struggle with childhood trauma and how you found a program in Mississippi that really addressed that for you. And that was actually probably the root cause of some of your addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how do you address childhood trauma in your own program with Veritas and the Freedom Institute? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Our primary um our primary uh, treatment is for substance use disorder and mental health. Mm-hmm. All of our clinicians are trauma informed. Mm-hmm. All of our clo- coaches have training in trauma. So depending on, so in a scenario like that, we would probably bring in outside help that would really specialize in trauma work, whether they do that work during treatment or post-treatment. Um Sometimes it makes sense to stabilize an individual before you do that kind of deep dive into that type of trauma work. You know, it's so interesting. When I went away to Mississippi and and started doing that work, it was just fascinating how much um, uh, is available to do that type of work. And, you know, I remember doing EMDR. and Can you I remember doing, that for our audience. Just yeah, so. you know, so and it didn't work well for me to be honest with you. You know, I rapid, you know, kind of tapping into parts of the brain to trigger, um, you know, childhood experiences using light and noise uh, to to kind of trigger both sides of the brain. But what really worked for me, which was really interesting, and I I pooed it when I first started, was um, art therapy. And so I was like, guys, I'm paying so much money for this treatment and you're giving me crayons. Like, are you serious? And what was so interesting, there were so many of those experiences that I was not conscious of. And, you know, they had me drawing with my non-dominant hand, listening to certain types of music and so many experiences, emotions, you know, came to the surface. So I walked away from that experience as difficult and challenging as it was, um, 
just kind of spectacular in nature, the work that the, the resources that are out there for people to get the help they need. Well, I actually love that you share that, Steve, because I think, you know, trauma healing is so individual and unique for everyone. Mm -hmm. And like you said, EMDR or hypnosis or may not be work for someone, but art therapy or um, even Reiki energy healing can be helpful, Mm -hmm. mindfulness, meditation. So um, I like that you address and that aspect to trauma healing. Yeah. And and within our IOP, we do um, virtual psychodramas. So as it relates to DBT skills, so things come up there from a trauma perspective and the work that we do there. But if someone's coming to us with significant amounts of trauma, um, there are resources we would refer them to either during treatment or post-treatment to get that type of help. Okay, great. And Steve, how long is the program? You said, is it 10 weeks? It's a 12-week program with the ability to work with people, you know, for up to a year primarily where they can continue to work with their coach, with their therapist. There are weekly groups that they can participate in. So uh, really supporting them throughout that, the first year of recovery. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. I was going to say that it's great that you've got the intense, more intensive portion in the beginning and then the ability to stay on with one-on-one coaching and peer coaching for the year. Yeah, you know, it happens sometimes. Sometimes people continue to work while they're doing their IOP. Sometimes people take time off from work to do treatment. So there's enough flexibility with the telehealth and the morning programming where someone could potentially do both. Sometimes it's a lot in early recovery to do that intensive uh, amount of treatment and continue to work. But, you know, about 50% of the physicians that we're working with are continuing to work while doing treatment. Mm, that's great. And, and, you know, that's really very unique too, because I think a lot of physicians think they're going to have to take months of time off. And then how do you explain that to your team yeah. that are staffed? And what do you say is going on? You know, so I think the ability to integrate the treatment into being able to still work, maybe cut back mm-hmm. hours a little bit for your own self-care, but still be able to work and then integrate the principles that you're learning along the way into your the reality of your life. Um, as a psychiatrist, I think that's really important. You know, it's really interesting. We have a bunch of psychiatrists in our program. And so you just think about how difficult it is for a psychiatrist to go to a local treatment program where they refer their clients. I can't even imagine. Yeah, so we've got a bunch of psychiatrists who have been clients of Veritas because of the higher levels of confidentiality and because, Mm -hmm. you know, accessing local treatment providers is extremely problematic to their own private practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we see a lot of psychiatrists come to our program as well. Well, that I'm really glad to hear, especially for my own colleagues and yeah. we're there for them. You also see a lot of burnout in the psychiatrist space as well, you know, during COVID and post-COVID, the need for their services are in such high demand. You know, it's so interesting. We were wanting to bring on an, an additional medical director to uh, Freedom Institute. And, you know, we're look, talking with a bunch of addiction psychiatrists that schedules and practices are so full right now just not having any available time to do anything other than what they're working on. is pretty incredible. I believe it, Steve. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. And it, I think we're only going to see more um, mental health need, you know, as years go on, because I mean, and I think it's a combination. It's good because the word is getting out and I think we're addressing stigma a little bit more in our country. So I think people are more willing to come in to get the help. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm really grateful that you exist, Steve. And I'm so grateful that you're here with us today and telling us sort of the ins and outs of your program and explaining the confidentiality piece too. Yeah, the one thing I'll throw out there also, first and foremost, I'm a person in long-term recovery. And if anybody listening to this wants to reach out to me confidentially, confidentially and just share what's going on, you know, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation. You know, it doesn't have to be a Veritas situation at all. You want someone safe to talk to. All I can say is I get it. I've been there. For mm-hmm. some reason, the universe has saved me and put me in a position here to help others who have struggled the way I've struggled. And that's my way of giving back. And so if someone just wants to have a conversation, you know, so interesting. I, I share about the sex a lot more today, these days than years ago for a variety of reasons. Number one, there's still so much stigma around that. Number two, I'm in a spectacular marriage with an incredible human being. And so living a beautiful life sexually. And number three, um, what usually happens is when I talk about it, I get that phone call from someone that just, you know, struggling watching porn and not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Someone that's acting out compulsively and nowhere safe to turn to talk about these issues and you know something these are debilitating conditions but there are tremendous resources out there not only for abstinence but thriving in that area of your life at some point in time and that's where the hope is right i was a hopeless human being in that area of my life and my life today the marriage i'm in right now the unconditional love i have for my wife um is so spectacular in nature. So I have healed and I'm thriving in that area of my life. So anybody listening to this wants to have a conversation, not not as to me as the president of a treatment provider, but just like mm-hmm. guy in recovery around this issue, call me. I'd love to talk. Oh, thank you, Steve, for offering that. And yes, our audience, if you're if you're wanting to reach out to Steve, I'll make sure I post his information <clears throat> underneath the podcast. So you have you know, the way to contact him confidentially. Um, And, you know, Steve, thank you again, just for being vulnerable with us and sharing everything that you've been through, because it, it definitely is a, you know, it's a, it's a blessing for us that you've had that experience and you can be a beacon of light for us. Yeah. Great to be here. And I, I'm so, once again, I know our time's coming to an end, but it is Thanksgiving and uh, just a great reminder of gratefulness for where I am today and what I get to do today to help others. So, Aww. Well, thank you for being with us here today, Steve. And, and again, I'm so grateful for you and appreciate the time and energy that you've given to us today. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll be in tune. We'll be in touch soon. And I will be posting everything on social media, LinkedIn, and Steve will also have his own bio page on my website. So thank you so much, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks.